Thank those who, uh, one, one family in particular who made our coffee and donut time possible this morning. Let me remind you, dear church family, uh, this is one of those rare weeks uh, where we will not have any type of midweek meeting this week, so there will be nothing happening here this week on Wednesday. We will resume next week. That being said, the children and the youth are still on a break for a little while. Uh, so nothing here this Wednesday. We'll look forward to gathering again a week from today. And uh, we do pray that you have a great day tomorrow and a great day this week. I want to ask you to take your Bibles now. And as we seek the Lord's help, turn to the one of the first books of the Bible. Turn again to Numbers, the book of Numbers, chapter 24. You would please do that. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Fourth book of the Bible, Numbers chapter 24. And our theme this morning is the incarnation. Christmas. We want to think about the incarnation, which simply means God became man, the Son of God, took on human flesh, and we're going to think about that this morning from an Old Testament Christmas passage, which is found in Numbers 24, and we'll look at that in a few minutes. Let's pray together. Bow with me. Oh, Lord, help us. Help us even now in these moments. We rightly, we rightly have maybe been enjoying the weekend and we're thinking about tomorrow and we're thinking about tonight. Lord, help us in these moments. We believe in the Holy Spirit. Open our eyes. Lord, for, for most of us, our, our Bibles are open. Would you open your word to us? Unite our hearts to fear your name. As Ben prayed, help us to see Jesus Christ. Help us to be pricked and convicted by your word. Come and help us, Lord. Help us to look forward to the coming of our Lord Jesus. Even as we now focus on his first coming, Lord, forgive us, forgive us as a people for not being uh, fixated as we should be on his second coming. Lord, our lives and our church is, is not what it should be, in part because we do not focus on the return of Christ as we ought. So we pray for your forgiveness, we pray for your help, and again, help us now as we consider his first coming. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Numbers chapter 24, the incarnation. We'll look at that in a few minutes. The Bible says, the Bible says in the scripture that I was just reading earlier, the Bible says this, Gabriel was sent from God to a virgin 
betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Gabriel, the angel, was sent by God to a virgin. I came across what I thought was a really helpful article uh, several weeks ago. Uh, It's written by a guy named Mitch Chase, and uh, he actually wrote a a follow-up article to the one I'm about to share with you. So there's two articles. I'm going to share the first. Uh, Mitch Chase wrote this article, and here's the title of it. The title is, Answering Six Objections to the Virgin Birth. Answering Six Objections to the Virgin Birth. Now, friend, you may be here this morning as a firm believer in the virgin birth. I guess you could even be a non-believer and say, I still believe in the virgin birth. Or you're here as a believer. Or you may be here this morning uh, and you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're glad that you're here. I want to call you to listen carefully. Or you may be a skeptic about the virgin birth. Here are the six objections that he gives in this article, which he also answers. So very briefly, six objections to the virgin birth. Number one, people back then would believe anything. People back then would believe anything. Number two, we know that a baby cannot be virginally conceived. The virgin birth is better called the virginal conception. That's what it actually is. We know that a baby can't be virginally conceived. Uh, objection number three. Well, the Bible doesn't talk much about the virgin birth. Objection number four. The story of the virgin birth, uh, it just borrowed from ancient myths, ancient pagan myths. Objection number five to the virgin birth. God acted upon Mary without her consent. And then objection number six to the virgin birth. You don't have to be a Christian, uh, or, or I'm sorry, you can be a Christian without believing in the virgin birth. Again, this is Mitch Chase here. Let me just go back through maybe three of those very quickly and just, and just begin to give a little bit of an answer because there's good answers to all six of those objections from the skeptic who doesn't believe in the virgin birth. Objection number one, people back then would believe anything. Well, There have been scientific advancements, no doubt about it. There's absolutely been scientific advancements. But that objection is a little bit arrogant, I would say. While there, listen, while there were certainly false beliefs in the ancient world due to ignorance, how babies were made was not one of them. They knew back then how babies were made. Okay? Well, objection number two. We know that a baby cannot be virginally conceived. He says this, exactly, exactly. We all know this, which is why it is so astounding when it happened. You see, friend, Christianity is rooted in the supernatural. So we're not, it's not just uh, bound by this world. It's not just what we might call naturalism. Instead, no, it's the supernatural. And I love it when he says this, He says, Luke chapter 1 reports a miracle. But if you believe Genesis chapter 1, nothing in Luke chapter 1 is too difficult to believe. Did you catch that? Luke chapter 1, the virgin birth. Well, I mean, we don't want to ask. We don't want to ask modern people. We're trying to reach the young people these days. And so we want to get rid of all the, we want to just boil it down to the essentials. And we just want to, we want to reach the skeptics. And so let's not put it. 
Let's not put an obstacle in their way like the virgin birth, right? If you believe Genesis chapter 1, then nothing in Luke 1 or any other one is too difficult to believe. Because the same God who spoke the world in existence out of nothing brought about this virginal conception. Well, uh, the Bible doesn't talk much about the virgin birth. Okay, technically that's true. The importance of doctrine is established by weight, not by frequency. The weight of the virginal conception is heavy. Well, the Bible does talk about the virgin birth, even though it doesn't talk about it 20 times. It does talk about it, and it doesn't have to talk about it any more than a handful of times for it to be true. Well, it's a good article by Mitch Chase. Six objections which have very, very truly very good answers to them. Do you have to believe in the virgin birth to be a Christian? Well, certainly to become a Christian, you might struggle with certain things. But to go on claiming to be a Christian and to, and to seriously come against anything in the Word of God is dangerous ground to be on. Because the Lord has revealed His Word to us. We're thinking today about the incarnation. Numbers chapter 24. Look at verse 17 with me. Numbers chapter 24. Verse 17. And here is our Old Testament Christmas text. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab, and break down all the sons of Sheth. Edom, Numbers twenty four eighteen, shall be dispossessed. Seir also, his enemies shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly. And notice this, and one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of cities. Christmas. Christmas. The Son of God became the Son of Man in order that the sons of men might become the sons of God. Did you get that? The Son of God became the Son of Man in order that the sons of men might become the sons of God. Now here's one that you really have to wake up from any slumber and really think about this one. And if you have trouble with this one, then blame Matthew Henry. Here's another one. The God who took a motherless woman out of the side of a man took a fatherless man out of the body of the woman. Think about it. Matthew Henry says, The God who took a motherless woman out of the side of a man, Adam, took a fatherless man out of the body of the woman. Beautiful. Christmas. It's the incarnation. Again, what is incarnation? 
Uh, really, it's, it is one of the glorious doctrines in the Bible, focused on the person of Jesus Christ. Incarnation, God became man. Uh, the Son of God took on human flesh. So, number one so far, we've briefly considered the virgin birth. Number one so far, we've briefly considered the virgin birth. And now, dear friends, number two, we're thinking about this Old Testament Christmas passage in the book of Numbers. And we need to start for a moment back in chapter 23. Would you go back there to Numbers chapter 23? Look there quickly with me. Numbers 23. We've looked briefly, number one, at the virgin birth. Number two, we're looking at our Old Testament Christmas passage from the book of Numbers, which as we've already noticed is beautiful. And uh, we, we want to get a running start in Numbers 23. Look and listen carefully to these words. Uh, Balaam said to Balak, build for me here seven altars and prepare for me here seven bulls and seven rams. Balak did as Balaam had said, and Balak and Balaam offered on each altar a bull and a ram. And Balaam said to Balak, stand beside your burnt offering and I will go. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet me, and whatever he shows me, I will tell you. And he went to a bare height. Who went to a bare height? Balaam. Numbers 23, verse 4. And God met Balaam, and Balaam said to him, I have arranged the seven altars, and I have offered on each altar a bull and a ram. And the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return to Balak, and thus you shall speak. And he returned to him, and behold, he and all the princes of Moab were standing beside his burnt offering, and Balaam, Balaam took up his discord and said, Now stop for just a moment. So, my dear fellow Christian, you need to know, you need to know and understand that Numbers 23 and 24 uh, represent four oracles. You need to know this about the Bible. Numbers 23 through 24, four of Balaam's oracles. Four of Balaam's oracles. And what we're seeing today is that they build up, and on the fourth, he gives this wonderful prophecy about Jesus Christ, about the, the, the baby who would become a man who was born to die. So you just need to know, just for the sake of biblical literacy, Numbers 23 through 24, Balaam's four oracles. This is a wonderful passage. It's really funny. Listen, it's funny that time and time again, the very thing, here's what's going on. What is this all about? One man has hired another man to do something for him, and every time he tries to do it, he does the opposite. Numbers 23 through 24, four oracles of Balaam. One man, King Balak of Moab, has hired another man to do something for him, and every time he does the opposite. Look again at verse 7. Balaam took up his discourse and said, from Aram, Balak. Balak was the king of Moab. Balak has brought me. The king of Moab from the eastern mountains. Come. This is what Balak said to, to Balaam. Come, curse Jacob for me. And come, denounce Israel. Balaam says in verse 8, How can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? 
For from the top of the crags I see him, from the hills I behold him. Behold a people dwelling alone and not counting itself among the nations. Now look at look at the text. Notice this. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the upright and let my end be like his. And Balak said to Balaam, what have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies and behold, you have done nothing but bless them. And he answered and said, must I not take care to speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? Now, if you were here last week, we were looking at the wonderful, famous story of Balaam's donkey. You can read about that because this section, by the way, is chapters 22 through 24. It's all one unit. It all goes together. Numbers 22 through 24. But the four oracles, the four oracles are in chapters 23 through 24. So very quickly, let me remind us, you've got Balaam, who was a pagan prophet. And you've got Balak, who was the king of Moab. And the people of Israel, just like the church today, the church today, insignificant as we seem, is on the march to the heavenly Zion. And God's people back then were on their march to the promised land. And Balak was terrified. He didn't need to be terrified, but he was terrified. Here come the people of Israel. They're massive. They're already winning victories. And so Balak says, Balaam, I want to hire you. You're a magic man. You're a seer. You're a diviner. I want to pay you handsomely to come and curse them, to come and curse the people of God. Imagine, and this for me doesn't take a whole lot of imagining, imagine that I ask you to help me and that I want to have tons of leaves removed from my property. So I ask you to help me Help me rake leaves in my yard. Help me to get them off of my property. There's tons of them. I have a big leaf problem. So you agree to help me. You agree. By the way, I have promised to pay you way above the going rate. You are going to be paid handsomely. Help me and you will be rewarded above and beyond. And then the next thing I know, you show up with four of the largest dump trucks that I've ever seen, and you begin to unload and dump massive amounts of wet, matted-down leaves in my yard. And my whole proposition has been, I'm going to give you a lot of money to get the leaves out of my yard. And here you have arranged to dump untold numbers of leaves in my yard. No, that's not what I'm looking for. No. It is humorous as you read this and as it builds upon itself. Oracle number one, verses one through twelve. Oracle number two. What's an oracle? What's it's a it's a speech. It's him giving a blessing or a cursing. Oracle number two, verses thirteen through thirty. Oracle number three, chapter twenty-four, verses one through fourteen. It is humorous that the very thing that Balak has asked him to do, he repeatedly does the opposite. Listen, here's what Balaam is saying. Here's what Balaam is saying. The guy who who was greedy, who wanted the money, yeah, I'll do that. Here's what he's saying. 
I can only do what the Lord says. I am constrained by God. God controls me. I cannot but speak what I am told. He is the sovereign Lord. And so you pick it up in verse 13. Look at it with me very quickly. Verse 13, chapter 23, verse 13. And Balak said to him, Please come with me to another place from which you may see them. You shall see only a fraction of them. You shall not see them all. Then curse them for me from there. He doesn't seem to be getting the picture, does he? And he took him to the field of Zophim, to the top of Pisgah, and built seven altars, and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Balaam said to Balak, Stand here beside your burnt offering while I meet the Lord over there. And the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, Return to Balak, and thus shall you speak. And what did he say in verse 18? What's his second oracle? Just look at 18 through 20. Chapter 23, And Balaam took up his discourse and said, Rise, Balak, and hear. Give ear to me, O son of Zippor. God is not man that he should lie. You might want to circle this verse in your Bible. Or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Behold, I received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot revoke it. What is this whole thing about before we land here in just a second, before we land on the Christmas passage? What is this whole thing about? Chapter 23, verse 12. Must I not take care to speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? Chapter 23, verse 8, he said, How can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? Chapter 23, verse 20, do you see it? Behold, I received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot revoke it. Chapter 24, verse 9. Chapter 24, verse 9. In the second part of that verse, blessed are those who bless you and cursed are those who curse you. It all goes back to what God said to Abraham when his name was still Abram. He said, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Nobody's going to curse God's people when God has determined to bless them. God has determined to bless his people. And I just wanted to give, I just wanted to give you a flavor of these first three oracles and my silly leaf story to tell you that every time he said, what are you, what are you doing? I asked you to curse them, and you're blessing them every time. And he begins to talk about a king. He begins to talk about a king in chapter 24. And in chapter 24, verses 4 through 6, he begins to talk about a place, a land like the Garden of Eden. And then in chapter 24, verse 15, here we are. Here we are. Chapter 24, verse 15. His final oracle. He took up his discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is open, 
the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, falling down with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. Friends, look at this and just notice that what Jesus said is true, that all of the Old Testament speaks about him. Numbers 24, 17, Balaam says, I I, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. It is very likely that when it says, it shall crush the forehead of Moab, it's referring back to, listen, Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Genesis 3.15 is the first gospel in the Bible and it says there is one coming. There is a Messiah coming. And let me remind you that at Christmas, Jesus was born to die. Martin Luther said, I have no other God but thee, born in a manger, died on a tree. I have no other God but thee, born in a manger, died on a tree. He was born to die. Athanasius, listen to this. Athanasius said, what is not assumed cannot be redeemed. What's he talking about? What is not assumed cannot be redeemed. If Jesus Christ did not become fully man, then we are left in our sins and without hope. What is not assumed cannot be redeemed. But praise God that He did assume. He did did take on human flesh. He did clothe Himself. And not merely an imaginary appearance. He actually clothed Himself in human flesh. He actually became a man so that He can redeem us, body and soul. Genesis 3.15 is the first gospel in the Bible. And it is this which matches up to Numbers 24, 17. It shall crush the forehead of Moab. When you look at Numbers 24, 17, it is clearly a prophecy of the Messiah. It is clearly a Christmas passage. You read about this star. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. You should not only think about two S words, but you should think about two R words. You should think about the words royal and regal, which is just to say it's talking about a king. (laughs) Listen to me. Matthew Henry rightly says this is fulfilled, first of all, in David. I'm not just saying that we just leap over everything and go straight to Jesus. Jesus is what this passage is talking about. It's first of all talking about David, but when I was engaged to my wife and we were living far away from each other, it was wonderful to see each other face to face during our engagement. But we did not see each other face to face all that often. We did have pictures. And Matthew Henry is right. This passage is fulfilled in the Old Testament. David, King David, royal, regal, Star, scepter, 
The picture is real. David is like the picture. But Jesus Christ is like being in the very presence of your beloved. Do you see? The real thing, Jesus Christ, the birth, the virgin birth of Jesus at Christmas. This is, as Henry says, the antitype. David is only the type. And God allowed Balaam to see. The, the, the Bible is clear. God always speaks truth. He speaks truth through a pagan prophet or through a pagan prophet's donkey. And he speaks truth through Balaam here. Verse 18, Edom shall be dispossessed. Seir also, his enemies shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly. And one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of cities. If you actually read verses 17 through 19, it's talking about King Jesus wreaking havoc on his enemies, which he did not do his first coming but he will do in his second coming. If you actually understand this passage, it's talking about the victory of God against his enemies through his Messiah King, through Jesus. And so we say Jesus is coming again. He was born to die. He lived a perfect, listen to me, he lived a perfect life. He died on the cross in our place. He rose from the dead. He ascended from the grave. He is coming again to receive everyone who repents of their sins and trusts in Him. Do you believe this morning? Let me bring this all together in just a couple of minutes and we'll close. Listen to me. Listen carefully. The Christmas passage is Numbers 24, 17 through 19. You could just go down line by line and just look carefully at each line to see how it points to Jesus. What have we said this morning? Let's bring it all together. Let's bring it all together. What have we said? We believe in the virgin birth. We believe in the virgin birth. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth, don't you like, he sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. That's just the first part of the Apostles' Creed. We believe in the virgin birth. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. No. Listen, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Take out the middle part. God said it, that settles it. It's beneficial if you and I believe it. My question to you this morning, dear friend, is do you believe? Do you believe in the true meaning of Christmas? Do you believe in the sun, in the star, and in the scepter, in great David's greater son? This passage is fulfilled in David, but David is just like a Polaroid picture. And Jesus Christ is being in the presence of the real thing. The real king has come. No, no, no. Not God said it. I believe it. That settles it. It doesn't matter if you or I believe it, but it is beneficial by the grace of God. Dear friend, you will go to hell and spend eternity under the wrath of God if you do not believe upon the name of His only Son, Jesus Christ. God said it. That settles it. 
We believe in the virgin birth. We believe that the scriptures of the Old Testament clearly point forward to Jesus Messiah. We believe that the scriptures of the Old Testament clearly point forward to Jesus Messiah. We believe in the sovereignty of God. That's what this whole passage is about. The oracles of Balaam, there's four of them. It's funny, 23 through 24, the sovereignty of God. We believe, Numbers 23, verse 19, that God is not a man that he should lie. We believe that, it's God, that if God is for us, who can be against us? Let me give you a handsome reward to curse them. I can't curse them. Every time I open my mouth, I bless them because God is determined to bless his people. Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? Answer, no one. We believe that he was born to die. What about you, friend? What about you? Do you believe in the name of the only Son of God? The only name. There is salvation in no other name. I close with these Christmas quotes. J.I. Packer. The divine son became a Jew. The almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby. Unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle and make noises. Needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. God became man. The Son of God became the Son of Man in order that the sons of men might become the sons of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that the biggest part of our Bibles that we call the Old Testament points forward very clearly to Jesus the Messiah. And it points forward to his victorious reign and to him conquering his enemies, which is why it seems so strange the first time that he came that he did not come to overturn the Romans, but to die in our place. Fix, O Lord, this season, fix our eyes on Jesus. We thank you that he bled and died for sinners like us. We thank you that he is coming again. Lord, may we be ready. Oh, help us to heed your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.